Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from Jane, also known as Jane App. She is the co-CEO and co-founder of the wildly popular online platform for health and wellness practitioners. Since launching in 2012, the company has grown by leaps and bounds, evolving into an industry standard and currently employs more than 200 team members. We talk about key learning experiences as the business has scaled, culture development, and a whole lot more. Our conversation starts now. Hi, I'm Allie Taylor. I'm co-founder and co-CEO of Jane, also known as Jane App, which we didn't really expect, but that's where we are. And Jane is a practice management system for allied healthcare practitioners. And pretty much no one knows what either of those things mean. So it's a software for healthcare providers as they run their small business, but specifically healthcare providers in the allied healthcare space, which is physiotherapy, chiro, massage, naturopath, acupuncture, mental health. And that list is a little bit more expansive than that. Pretty much anyone that's covered under your extended benefits, if you're a Canadian, a little different if you're in the US, but generally that's the the bucket of people that we help. And our mission is to help the helpers, which is what we really have been enjoying doing. That's awesome. And are you guys, so you mentioned Canada and the US, are you guys in other countries as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're also in the UK um, and Australia, New Zealand. And then we have a smattering of people because it's, we're SaaS, so, which is software as a service, which means you can kind of just go online and sign up kind of similar to Facebook is how I explain it to people that haven't experienced the tech world. So anyone can really sign up from anywhere. So Costa Rica and Hong Kong, and like we're in kind of all these different areas. Wow. That is tremendous. And I'm wondering if to, to jump in here, if you can give me a little bit of your origin story, you know, I've read a little bit about, you know, what the stuff that's in your LinkedIn profile and kind of what's on the site, but if you could walk me through kind of like the early years of Jane app. Yeah, I, I say I'm a first time founder. I'm definitely a first time scaler of a tech company, but technically I suppose it's my second business. My first business was a healthcare practice. So I was the original customer of the solution that we're now selling to other people. And that we never really intended to commercialize Jane, actually. I just was having a problem of my own. So in 2011, I was opening a healthcare practice, which was multidisciplinary. So it was all of those disciplines I mentioned before and midwives, uh, acupuncture. So really like a, a mix. It's an eight room practice. And I couldn't find anything for online booking and electronic charting specifically. And so my now co-founder, Trevor, had a branding agency and he was doing my website, my branding, my letterhead at the time. We had letterhead and envelopes, which now I don't think that that comes with your branding anymore. (laughs) Uh, And so I was complaining and showing him all the options I had. And I knew online booking was mandatory for a new business, just getting off the ground. I was, I was was pregnant with my third at the time. And I knew the only time I had to book appointments was like 11 PM. And so if I wanted any healthcare, I knew that it needed to be someone who offered online booking or I was never going to be able to make an appointment. Um, And so I showed all the options that were available and he was like, those are horrendous. And I said, I know. And we were really spending a lot of time on our, our brand and your website is sort of your online waiting room. So I wanted to make sure that my online booking experience matched that. Uh, And so he offered to build me something. So six weeks they built the original version of Jane, which was just online booking and electronic charting. And I used it for a year and a half in my practice. And then other people started asking us for it. 
which um, we weren't really expecting, but the online booking was very visible and very public. And so people started calling me and they started calling his uh, business because his name was at the bottom of the website. And so he said, hey, do you want to build this out into something like a complete practice management software, which we didn't actually call it that at the time because we didn't use words like that. And then we can start offering it to other people. So starting in 2014, we started licensing Jane to other people and from there it just expanded. Yeah, it is, it is really cool to see that. And I, I mentioned it is when we started talking, like I recognize the name because when I'm at, for me, it's Catalyst Kinetics in uh, Burnaby. That's where I book my appointments. Yeah. <laughs> so I see that. Totally. And do you call yourself a Jane user? Like, would you say I'm a Jane user as a patient? Yeah, I ha- well, I have to be. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they, they force the registrations. In there, <laughs> they, so I know you have to. Yeah. <laughs> we just found that really surprising because we really respect the branding of the practice. So the only place you see Jane's name is in the URL and a little teeny badge at the bottom. And yet everywhere we go and people see Jane on my phone or my computer, like I have a sticker on my phone. They're like, oh, I'm a Jane user. And I'm like, oh, it's strange. We didn't really think there was going to be brand awareness down at the, the patient layer because that's actually our customer's customer. And so it's been fascinating to see the spread of the brand. And I think that's, it's been much stronger than we anticipated. Yeah. No, it's so tremendous to hear that. Was there a challenge that maybe surprised you in the early years? Like maybe the, you know, something like scale or finding the right employees or even kind of developing, you know, a product that while it worked for you, that would work for other people. Did something like that stick out in those early years? Scaling comes with problems the whole time and everyone's got, they're called, they're growing pains. I'm like, well, growing pains only really last like for a few years, but scaling problems last the entire time you're scaling. And I would say our earliest issue was, was hosting, like was hosting our, our app as it grew so quickly. And especially because early on we had to host in Canada because we're, we, we hold healthcare records and there's really specific requirements around how you store healthcare records, especially you want to be in country. So in Canada, we had to store them in Canada. And so we had to host them ourselves on our own servers and scaling that infrastructure, um, as rapidly as we ended up needing to scale it was an unanticipated problem. And it ended up that we had quite a bit of downtime every day at noon, everyone would come on and start using the system and Jane would go, was going down for weeks. And so you'd come into work every day knowing that you were just about to have to answer the call of like all these customers and say, I'm so, so like, and so we had to do all this work to scale our infrastructure more rapidly. And then once Amazon started offering infrastructure locations in more countries, we could switch over to something that was more scalable in a more automated way. And so we haven't had any downtime problems since the early days, but we definitely learned our lesson about making sure that we're anticipating growth even faster than we think so that we're ready for it in advance. Yeah, yeah. no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Was your kind of a, a proof of concept or a, a moment where you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be a lot bigger than I initially thought? I wish I could show you our original business plan had like eight employees, I think. And it was a lifestyle business and we were just going to be pulling dividends. And we both were kind of going to continue in our existing roles at our existing companies. But it was pretty rapid that we realized that that wasn't going to happen. And this was going to become a full-time job. 
I mean, I think that's kind of the joy of being a first time founder, really, and coming from small business that we started running Jane as a small business. And then when it turned into a scaling growth company, it was always sort of these like lovely surprises. We're like, oh, all of these people want to use us now. Like originally we were selling just to physio, chiro, massage and only in BC. I was like, this is the market I know. I understand the insurance world here. I understand how this all works. And then slowly people across the country started picking up Jane and then chiropractors in the US were very suddenly two years ago, a software shut down and there was all these market events and people started talking about us in Facebook groups and all these chiros in the US started picking Jane up and we had planned to go into the US about a year later. So we were just starting to work on the insurance system and learn about it. And we had to scramble to kind of catch up. So I think all along the way, it's always been a little bit earlier than we anticipated, but we had already started thinking about it, about the growth. So there was, there's lots of individual moments that felt like, oh, that's amazing. Let's, let's focus on that. And a lot of pull into these different areas, which is a real privilege. I think most companies have to push quite hard. We don't have a sales or even we have a very small marketing team that we're just starting to build out. And usually people start with marketing, but we were fortunate that we had product market fit and really great customers that referred us. And so we've gotten to where we are now, which is 50,000 practitioners using Jane around the world without having a sales team or really too much of a marketing team. Very impressive. As the business started to mature, again, just looking online, you started with you know yourself and your founder up to around 180 employees or so. Can you walk me through kind of how you guys have approached the recruitment process and just like meeting the demand as your company has grown there? We're at 217 now. I just looked this morning ah, our software. Every time update LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, how many staff do you have? I'm like, it literally feels like it changes every single day, which it does. And I think early on, we, we were quite flat as an organization for a really long time. And so it's really fascinating when you're a founder, you go from doer to manager to manager of managers. And all along that whole timeline, you also have to be a leader which I've just recently learned are two different things. Being a leader and being a manager are actually different roles and then being a doer. So when you're a founder leader of a scaling company, it's fascinating as your job changes over the scale of your company, you go from doer of everything, then you try to become a doer of a little bit more of a like specific slice. And then you're managing, managing managers, leading. And we did all of that in a very compressed time frame. We do an onboarding session with all of our new staff every month. We do two, actually. The first one, we just kind of talk to each other and get to know each other, especially remotely. It's You don't get a chance to, to meet your new team. Um, we've had, I think, over 40% join since we've been remote. And so we haven't met any of them in person yet. And in that onboarding session, we said, how many of you already know somebody that works here at Jane? And nine out of the 10 people put up their hand. So the same way that we've had a lot of referral customers, we've also had a lot of referrals through our staff, which we have couples that work at Jane where one starts and then their partner joins. Um, and so it's a lot of it is staff referral. And that's been pretty positive. And then I also think we, we publish our values with every job posting and we're very mission based. We help the helpers is something. And like, as you mentioned, like, you're like, Oh, I know Jane. When you heard of Jane, you're like, I've used Jane. And so there's something about being a company that people are familiar with and then the values. And then for us, it's when they know people that work here, it's really helpful. They, they refer into each other. So that's been good. It's been definitely getting harder to hire tech people in the new market. I don't know if you've heard a lot about how that's going 
for in the tech world is San Francisco companies are becoming less San Francisco based and they're starting to pave San Francisco salaries outside of the valley. There's been a real there's a real war on talent right now and it's bumping up salaries pretty significantly. We just had to do a market bump for all of our engineers just this last week. So that's been an interesting story too, but. Yeah, no, I can imagine my brother's a uh, uh, software engineer. Uh, oh, is he? Yeah. Have you heard of this? The great resignation? No. So the whole world is having a midlife crisis is how I'm, what I'm saying. It's like, they've just been through a year and a half of just intense lockdown, sort of a difficult time. And the only, the thing that people can change is their job. And so even if they're in a great job or a great company, Apparently there was a survey that was like 85% of people are considering leaving their jobs. Like it's just a huge, insane number. And it really is that sort of feeling that people get around midlife of just like, I just need a change. I'm ready to do something different. And I think everyone working remote as well. Some people are being told to go back to office and realizing they don't want to. Or some people are working remote and realizing like the benefits of their job. It's like, it's all kind of the same. You're working in your front room on a computer. And so there, there's a lot of shifting happening in the employment world right now. And so because we're mission-based and remote, we're continuing remote. I think for us, it's a positive because it means we have the opportunity to pull in more people. And so far, we've been pretty good on the, we haven't had a lot of attrition, but it's early days still in the, this great resignation. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Talent's going to be shifting around all over the place. Yeah, no, that is, it's, it's actually just a good idea from a content creation team down the road. You mentioned briefly about the corporate values and the sort of, the, I'm just reading this off here. Love is a quarter, is quarter of feeling and one, three quarters of practice. Can you give me a little bit of background on that, on that one a little bit? <laughs> when I mentioned early on, we were just doers, right? There was like, I think at the time that we originally wrote our values, there was eight of us in the team. And we wrote that a little bit in protest. We went to this, like this kind of accelerator program here in Vancouver. And we were told, okay, you have to write your vision, mission values. This is what you do as a company. And we're like, I had like 400 emails I needed to respond to. And Trevor had bugs he needed to fix. And we were spending a Thursday morning, like writing this out. And our team was small. We were very aligned. We didn't need to write these things out on paper. But then it's ended up being actually quite central to the way that our company has scaled. And our values is something that we've adjusted over time. So love, Jane, work hard, have fun. Those values have ma- have been maintained from, from the very beginning. But the description of what that means and how we live that out has evolved over time. And we crowdsource that. So on this, we just did the most recent one um, a few months ago. And that's where that quarter uh, feeling three quarters action edit came from. And it was because I've struggled with love being the appropriate verb for a while. I'm like, is it like respect? Because it breaks down into love Jane, the app, love Jane, the customer, love Jane, the team, love Jane, the company, and what that looks like. And I was kind of like, it really is it respect, but respect lack, lacks a passion that love includes. And then we had a big conversation as a team about the word love. And in Greek, there's actually multiple words to mean different types of love. But in English, we only have one. I'm an English major. And I saw so I nerd out about language constantly. <laughs> I couldn't I, tell. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love language. I love how restrictive it is. But anyway, so that quote that you just mentioned, that it's one quarter a feeling and three quarters an action came from that conversation. And one of our team members recommended that. And they were saying, this is how I read that value at Jane. It's about our actions. It's about how we behave. And so how love expresses itself as as behavior instead of feeling, because we were kind of talking as a group, like, is this the right word? And then we settled on, yes, people like they're like, we love, we like this value. We want to keep it. We think it's important to how we scale our company and how we 
treat each other as, a, as an organization and how we treat mm-hmm. our customers. Um, and so that's, that's where that line came from. It was crowdsourced from one of our team members in the most recent update of our values. And we'll probably keep doing that because when you're scaling a company, your culture and your values, they're going to shift a little bit as you grow. Every time you, you bring one person into any sort of a group organization, the entire group changes. And it's, so imagine adding 10 a month or more as you keep, as you're scaling what that does to your team. And so we were super intentional about how we bring those values in to the group as we're scaling. That's awesome. I, I like the idea of it continually evolving because I, yeah. I, I, ha- I haven't heard that too often. You know, when you go through, whether you're reading or just, you know, just in your, your general life, you're, you kind of see like, these are the values that we have. And they're kind of like the cornerstones of the brand, but it doesn't really reflect what you are now. Well, imagine, yeah. do you think about like even your political views as you age or as you grow up. And I can say this in Canada more than the U.S. because you're born into a party. But when yeah. I was in university, I vote like I always voted green because their policy on like education most cl- closely aligned with what I was looking for in my life. And then as you grow up, you sort of evaluate policies differently as you age and you understand more about like life in different ways. And so I think it's important that you're always reassessing based on new information. Like we have new information now, we're behaving differently now. And you don't want your values to become stale because then nobody respects them. Your team does not respect them if you're not living them every day. So the way you talk about them has to remain current. No, that's tremendous. I appreciate you fleshing that out a bit. Um, I want to quickly ask you about Jane Summer School. Wondering if you can give a little bit of an overview as to kind of, I guess, A, how that came about and, and maybe a, an opportunity um, that's arisen out of it that you didn't expect. Jane Summer School is our user conference, which this is our second year doing it, and it's our second year doing it online. And last year, our first user conference, it was not what we were expecting. So we were planning an in-person user conference at the end of the summer. And then the lockdown happened in March for us here in Vancouver. And our clinics were all closed. We were both dealing, we were dealing with two things at the same time. One, we were dealing with clinics shutting down and two, we were dealing with clinics going online with telehealth. And so we, as a company, were just like, it's, they call it wartime CEOing when you're dealing with crisis. And so we were, we were dealing with all of that at the same time. And so one of the things that we were looking for is, okay, well, how can we provide value to our customers, even though they're not using our software right now? And so we moved our conference online and we moved it to like within the shutdown, we launched it in two weeks. So we took everything that we had kind of prepared for our in-person one and we moved all the speakers online. And then we ran all the sessions during that shutdown period when our clinics were all closed. So we're like, you're closed, but your software, your software subscription gives you access to this, this free conference now online. And then people showed up. They were like, people wanted something to do. They wanted it to be, they wanted to feel productive. They were like, kind of not sure what was going on. And so we had a huge response, like a really great attendance. And so then this year we're like, okay, should we do it online again? We're like, should we do it in person? And so this year it's called summer school. And one of the reasons we're calling it summer school and we're treating it a little bit differently is no one's shut down anymore. So it's a whole different experience this year. So we want to be able to run it so people can get on demand classes and they can watch them when they want, or they can come in person, but it was such a great experience last year our chat is it blows up like the whole time we're chatting with all the customers and our community kind of comes together while 
while they're in these webinars. And I was wondering if people would be webinared out by now, because, you know, it's been like such a move to online, but we run webinars kind of once a month and they're still very well attended. And I think there's still an appetite for it. So our lineup is amazing. I get to host most of them. We're doing five a day, which is a lot. But it also means it's kind of on-demand content forever. So it's going to be super fun. What I learned about doing our first conference online was how amazingly fun our customer base is and vocal. Like when some people attend and they're like, oh, I've never seen people so talkative in chat before. And I'm like, I know they're all so lovely. And they like to be engaged and they like to talk to each other. So, yeah. And from there, we ended up creating a community Facebook group, which is very well I wanted to say well attended, but that's not the right word. It's well used. Engaged. Yeah, it's a super engaged group. Yeah. So that was super, super fun. Yeah. Summer school. Go back to school. <laughs> awesome. I think the one thing I would like to ask you from the, the, the last part here is, is there a single thing that sticks out of like, this is what I've learned that's helped me the most? Yeah, it depends on the area, if they're tech founders and they're scaling, if they're looking for funding, like in the kind of the area. But I would say that new information, creating new perspectives is something that you should always embrace your whole life. So as you're growing yourself, like give yourself room to change your mind about things. And then I always say I have strong opinions held loosely. So I will have a strong opinion, but tomorrow it might be the opposite strong opinion if I've received new information and that's totally fine. So, you know, feel free to plant yourself firmly, but be open to new information to change that opinion. And then the second part is all of all businesses, people, it's all people. And so if you can really try to understand other people's perspectives, you're going to just generally do better in every interaction. Um, So is going to allow for just better outcomes. Awesome. No, I think that is really helpful. So we have to finish this off. We have four questions that we ask each person. Is there a favorite book or podcast that you are reading or listening to? You know, I just drove up to Penticton here. I mentioned I'm visiting my brother and we listen, me and my three kids listen to the habitat on the drive up. Have you heard this is it's a podcast about the NASA mission to Mars, but they're doing a test Uh, in Hawaii where they put a dome and they put six people inside the dome to live together for one year. Oh, wow. Six people, one year. And the dome's about the size, half the size of a tennis court. And it's like a seven episode series. We were all, we were all just like loving it. Just listening to the next one, next one. And it's, as I mentioned, like everything's about people. And it was a really fascinating insight into the way humans behave, especially in, in close quarters. It kind of reminded me of Survivor, actually. Did you ever watch Survivor? Who will I admit it to? Very few. <laughs> <laughs> will you admit it on this podcast? Yes. And cut I it out. Love um, so that one was just super entertaining, but usually I listen to... Um, HBR idea cast and there's one called first review, which is uh, incredible and masters of scale, a lot about scaling tech companies. And then whenever I'm trying to work in a part of the company that I don't know a lot about, I'll just try to search out podcasts about that area and then listen to people who know what they're doing or have done it before so that I can learn how to do that in, in our company. Awesome. Best personal advice that you've received. It's Less advice and more something that I just decided to try early on was when you are 
in a leadership position, a lot of people will have opinions about the way you do things and you're kind of, you're a little bit examined. And so one of the things that has made me nervous being the leader of a company, especially a scaling company is that people recognize people know you. Like when I was up in Whistler with my family, someone came up and was like, I use Jane. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you know who I am? Like I, they just recognize me, which is a very strange experience. Yeah. And so early on, I just decided to have two people in my life, one professionally, one personally, and just decide like if my decisions and my actions are ones that I know both of those people will be proud of me for, then I'm going to be okay. No matter what other people who have limited information are going to like decide about my behavior and who I am. And so that's, I have a board member, Keith Spencer, who is my professional person and my mother is my personal person. And I'm like, if I make decisions that make these people proud, then I'm just going to sit with them and be comfortable with them. And then have, a, it just gives you a little bit of a, a buffer from, Everyone cares what people think about them, no matter what they say. Don't listen to anyone who says they don't. That's very wise. I appreciate you sharing that. Aside from Jane, is there an app or piece of software that you can't live without? Oh, I hate to say that it's Slack, but really it is Slack. If you, it's our entire company is run online and it's where we, we have social channels, we have communication channels, we have fun channels, we use gifts. It's like the... I can't imagine running the company without it. I'm on it constantly, probably too much. So yeah, that would be, that's probably it. Okay, awesome. And the last one here, favorite restaurant in BC. Have you been experienced restaurants differently during the pandemic where you're ordering delivery from places you've never been to in person? Uh, yes. Yeah, isn't it strange? So there's restaurants that I now I'm saying like I recommend to people. I'm like literally I've never been there and I have no idea what they're actually like if you go in person. But the one that sticks out the most, which I just ordered off some delivery service because it popped up on something local, is a place called Maru Bistro in North Vancouver. And you at the pulled pork steam buns, they should sell nothing but they should actually get like a food truck and that's their only <laughs> thing that they sell. They are ridiculously good. The pulled pork steam buns from Maru Bistro in North Vancouver. Everyone should go and try them. I don't, I've never been there in person, so I don't know what the interior is like. <laughs> I don't know anything about the place, but they're amazing. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.